All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Honest Defense. Today, I'm honored to be joined by the great Mark Clare. Mark is the host of the Lines of Liberty podcast. It is one of the largest libertarian-oriented podcasts around. They just celebrated their 500th episode. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Eric. How's it going, man? It's going great. Appreciate it. First thing is, I got to say, I'm looking at that hair you have, that mane of hair you have, and I'm looking at what I have, and it makes me start to think a little bit that socialism socialism might not be such a bad idea. Like, why do you, you get all hair, of that hair? Some hair equity? Yeah, it's just not fair. You have all of that, and I got nothing. Well, you know, on the podcast, it works out for me because, you know, we have uh, three shows and there's myself, Brian McWilliams, John Odermatt. And, uh, you know, I've got the long hair. Brian's bald. So the, that kind of cancels it out. And then John kind of has, you know, I don't know what you might call normal hair. So we have hair equity at last. All right. So you got equity. All right. All right. So I got to find someone you, else to take it add from. Us all, if you add up the sum and <laughs> do a little math. But. Someone, someone already has a claim on yours. All right. All right. I'll find it somewhere else. So I got to congratulate you on 500 episodes of Lions of Liberty. That's Thank huge. You. Uh, you've been doing it for, for eight years now. Is that right? Pretty close to eight years. Yeah. Let's see. It was actually, I believe it was September of 2013 that I launched wow. it. So we'd pass seven and we'll be at eight and uh, yeah, about six months, seven and a half years. So that, I mean, that was 2013 was pretty early on in the podcast world. Like I'm thinking I started listening. I started listening to podcasts pretty early, like 2010, 2011. And back then, I mean, the only things it was mostly comedians that were on. It was, you know, Joe Rogan and yeah, Adam like Carolla. Sports or comedians. Yeah. And fantasy sports. That's right. The exactly. Stuff I listened to, but yeah, hardly any libertarian stuff out there. So where did you get the idea for it? How did you even kind of know like, oh, this is something I could do myself? Uh, well, like you, I probably started listening to a lot of podcasts back. Actually, I think the first podcast I listened to, too, was the the Bill Simmons podcast. Oh, like yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Before it was even the BS Report. Like, right. It was before it – was, it was when you barely even – like, no one had podcast apps even. I think I, like, right. listened to it on the ESPN website or something. Uh, so I, But I started listening to podcasts kind of in general. Um, I just found myself enjoying that format um, because I could – Pop, pop it in my earbud and uh, listen on my own time. And I would, you know, I, I would listen to podcasts while I worked or while I worked out, while I walked my dogs. Uh, so I just found myself listening to podcasts a lot. And this at the same time, I was in my like, my my phase of libertarianism where I couldn't stop consuming libertarian content. I was just reading yep. articles, reading books, uh, watching Ron Paul YouTube videos, watching speeches. I just uh, it's all I consumed. But then when I got to podcasts, there believe it or not, which sounds crazy now in 2021, but at that time there wasn't really that many libertarian podcasts. There was right. a couple that were kind of sporadic. Uh, a guy Bob Wenzel is a great guy I've had on a couple times. Ha- had some, but it was it wasn't every week. And you know Lou Rockwell did some sporadically. Cato did some that. That felt kind of dry to me, but there wasn't the kind of podcast that I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear libertarians like telling me about their stories, like how they became libertarians, what sent them down these paths. Uh, I wanted to dive, do deep dives into philosophical issues. I wanted to translate a lot of the conversations that I was having with my friends in real lives. I wanted to literally bring those conversations as I have uh, to audio format. And uh, yeah, there there was not many podcasts out there. There certainly weren't any that did what I was looking for. So I guess I just said, well, I guess it's time to start a podcast. And we already had the line of Liberty brand. We had already started that as a website a couple years prior. Um, so there was some semblance of a following, probably a very small one, but at least some people knew who we were to some extent, uh, just from our writing and posting things around and posting articles uh, over in the Daily Paul was a big forum. We were, yeah. a lot of us were on, got into a lot of debates oh, over right. there. Yeah. yeah. I love the Daily Paul. I was I was obsessive, but that, that's kind of part of why we were able to at least launch, not not I have a huge launch, but have more than zero downloads when I launched, just because when you become active, an active member of a community and a valuable member of a community, uh, when you actually end up having a project at some point, people in that community will say, oh, I know this person. He provides value. I'll check out what they're doing. Uh, whereas if you just show up in a community and start spamming your podcast and when no one's ever seen you, it's the opposite. They're going to say, who's this guy? They're just here to spam. So, you know, that's, you know, that, that's the kind of the difference between actually pro- providing value to get people to follow you, follow your brand, uh, you know, to give yourself credibility as opposed to just kind of bouncing yeah. into places and, and spamming yourself around <laughs> oh that's that's actually really good advice because that's kind of where i am right now where i don't feel like i'm spamming content because I've, I've had really interesting guests on i mean just objectively i think it's, it's been really good comment content but it's now i'm trying to figure out okay how do i build an audience how do i build this podcast without it seeming like oh i'm just jumping in somewhere and, and you know, throwing my my episodes at someone, especially yeah. now when there's a million podcasts out. It can there. be a fine line to walk, of course, because because you got to be your if you're not going to be your own best promoter, who right. is right? Oh, that's funny, and it's funny hearing you talk about getting into libertarianism and and just wanting to have that drink from that fire hose because i think everyone has that same story where it's like you're you're watching ron paul videos you're reading ayn rand and you're, you're really soaking it all in at once how did you first kind of find out about libertarianism because it's 
every libertarian has a unique story because it's not, it's very rarely said, oh, my dad was a libertarian and he passed it on to me. It's you usually have to, and you don't hear about it in school, obviously. You have to find it somewhere yourself. How did you find it? Well, that's definitely true because over all of the interviews, the hundreds and hundreds of interviews I've done over the years, only two, only two of those people said they were basically born into it. Their parents were libertarians, taught them about it. Uh, those two were Nicholas Sarwark and Avins O'Brien. Those okay. are the only two over the course oh, of seven and a half years. Nobody else had a story, had that kind of story. So it's, it is very rare to be born into uh, you know these kind of ideas. Uh, for me, I mean, I was exposed to politics from the time I was a young kid because my dad was, uh, you know, I'd say a fairly traditional conservative, and he was really into like you know that kind of talk radio. He listened yeah. to like Bob Grant, uh, Rush Limbaugh, eventually Sean Hannity, Curtis Sliwa. These are guys that I always heard growing up, and I, I, I never. I wasn't like just like I didn't just become a teenage Republican because my dad was. I just I actually didn't really pick a side or didn't really even fully understand politics. I don't think, but I I listened enough and heard enough that I absorbed a lot and I, I did start to question things during that time a little bit. I, I I know that at times I would say you know well why should there be a law about this? Why are they even having this conversation? So even before I really fully understood politics or had ever heard of libertarian ideas, I was I was questioning like. The entire premise. I think that was yeah. just something in my personality that my my dad told me. I, I got to interview my dad once in my podcast for a Father's Day episode, and uh, you know he told me that one quality I had as a kid growing up is I would always ask why, and no matter what it was, like no, you could not get away with just telling me to do something. Like I was going to ask why over and over and over, yeah. and if I didn't like your answer, I was going to keep pressing until I got to the truth or it got as far <laughs> or close to the truth as I thought I was going to get. So I guess it was just always in me not to trust the first thing I heard um, and to to question things a little bit. So that questioning kind of just led me to always question things, always question politics. And uh, so I never really felt like I was a, a Democrat or a Republican uh, until I, I got to college uh, and I encountered a gentleman by the name of Howie Snowden, who's a big part of our podcast now. And um, over, he's a, a good friend of mine. We were roommates at one point. And uh, over many, many late nights of, uh, you know, drunken consumption and things of this nature, um, at some point we got into talking about this, this stuff and he started telling me uh, about libertarian ideas. Uh, the memories are fuzzy, but I know this is where the genesis was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he told me about this guy, Ron Paul and I was like, "Why are you talking to me about this congressman? Like, what are you talking about?" Right. And, but I guess when he was in, co in high school, he was a congressional page, not for Ron Paul, for a different Democratic congressman from Pennsylvania. But um, you know, he got to interact with a lot of congressmen, and he, this guy Ron Paul, is the one guy who was like so nice to him, super respectful, like didn't treat him like yeah. he was lowly, treated him like anybody else. Uh, he would like sometimes go into his office and like talk to him, and he would talk to him about you know the same stuff we always heard him talking about war, the Federal Reserve, yeah. um, and he would always be sure to go on the on the House floor and hear his speeches. So I was like, all right, if this dude who I've been hanging out with seems to really like this guy, I guess I'll just check him out. So I started reading his column. And this is way before Ron Paul ran for president. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's way after he ran for president for the Libertarian Party in 88. It's around the year 2000 or so. Uh, but way before the, the, you know, the, uh, the revolution, so to speak. And uh, so I, I kind of started checking out this guy's column, and I, I found it pretty interesting because uh, you know I knew he was Republican, so I was expecting uh, you know just to hear Republicans saying Republican things. Uh, but instead, they, almost all of his writing was criticizing Republicans and criticizing Republican policies and criticizing the drug war, criticizing the war. Um, and I, it's hard to think, like criticizing like George Bush's Medicare Part D. And I just started thinking, like, well, what's going on here? Why is this? I thought you, I thought they were on the same team. I thought Republicans just criticized Democrats and the other way around. But here was a guy who just was not, you know, didn't didn't buy into that. He clearly had principles, whatever they may be, even if I didn't understand them yet. And uh, that was attractive to me. So I, I continued to read his column for many years just because I I appreciated his approach. Um, and I, no, I, I, I didn't even adopt the the phrase or label libertarianism. And then I'm I'm trying to kind of get away from it now. So I've kind of come <laughs> full circle there. But I, I was definitely intrigued by the ideas, and I ended up, you know, yeah, starting to read more books about things. Eventually, uh, got into the Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises wing of things, the Hayek stuff. Uh, I, I did the, you know the whole the whole gamut, and um, just it kind of just spiraled from there. But the the reading actually started with a book that Howie gave me. Um, that was a book by Harry Brown called How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, and that also got my mind spinning. And I, I liked about that it wasn't really pressing a philosophy per se it was just really describing how he goes about living his life as free as possible and the lessons in there apply just as much today as they did then uh, there there's so many ways you can live a freer life uh without just you know slamming your head against the wall trying to convince everyone of a philosophy all the time which of course is fun to do too but yeah right right but the, the messaging and and the way you present yourself is such a big deal to it too, and I have a very similar story about about Ron Paul. As I was interning in D.C. after I think my sophomore year of college, 
And I wasn't interning on on the Hill, but I said, oh, it'd be cool to kind of you know meet some congressmen. And I figured I'll meet my own congressman. I grew up in Pennsylvania. My congressman at the time was was John Murtha, who was one of the most powerful people in Congress. And I said, well, you know, maybe I'll just I'll call his office and see if I can meet him just because I'm in D.C. and it'd be cool. Never. I, you know, I called, left a message, never heard back. I, I sent an email, never heard back. And this was just after Ron Paul's 2008 campaign. And I was I, I was kind of intrigued by Ron Paul at the time. I wasn't. I think I volunteered a little bit on the campaign, but I wasn't fully on board. And I said, "Oh, you know what? It'd be interesting to to meet Ron Paul because I he I just he had really interesting ideas." Since and this guy's snubbing me, I guess exactly, I'll- exactly. My own, I can't talk to my own congressman, but here's this is the only other person who is of any interest to me, you know, in Congress. And I'm like, you know, again, like I, you know, he's not my congressman. I, I'm not expecting to get any kind of response. I get a response from his office probably the next day. They said, "Oh yeah, he'd love to meet you." I wow. go to his awesome. yeah yeah and they, they say you know come to the office we scheduled a time to go to the office and he meets you're just with me some so- guy not even his constituent I, you're just but like no all I dude. all I said I said you know I'm a college student I said you know I, I was I was really uh, I said I volunteered a little bit on, on Dr. Paul's 2008 campaign but yeah that, I mean I wasn't anyone important I wasn't his constituent I wasn't any big time volunteer even uh, but yeah yeah he took me into his office one just me and him in his office for an hour. Not even really talking politics. We talked about, you know, he and my dad had worked at the same hospital and they had actually had the same job even in the military. So we talked about those similarities. We talked about Pittsburgh, where I grew up and and where he was from. And we just talked for an hour, just me and this, this congressman who had been a presidential candidate. And yeah, I walked away from that just like... It would have been very easy that summer. It would have been very easy for me to have gotten very cynical about politics because you, when you spend any amount of time in D.C., it's very you know you can see how the machine works and it's very easy to get cynical. But he was kind of that that ray of light that I'm like, oh, there is there's one good person here, and even if there's just that one good person, I know that there's some sort of hope, and I can at least I can at least latch on to this one good idea and good set of of principles. So. I, that's I think Ron Paul did it for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a super humble guy, and he truly does want to spread the message. And he, but you know, he so he's he sees everybody else as as a normal person. So you yeah. know, whether you're a, a president of another country or just some kid who is in D.C. for you know, he's gonna treat you the same way. Right, right. So let's talk about Gina Carano because that got you fired up online. I saw, and that's why I wanted to to have you on because I know that's that's a, a it was a big story for me. It had me on an emotional roller coaster. Everything that was going on with her. So I was wanted to get your thoughts on what happened as far as her getting fired from Disney, and then you know the 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 positive side of the story is getting picked up by by Ben Shapiro's company, The Daily Wire, which I I think I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, to me, I think that's it, the best way that this could have ended up. Well, I don't know. I have a, I have probably a, a little bit of a different take on, on sure. the whole thing because I, well, as far as the Ben Shapiro thing, I mean, that's cool for her. I mean, I'm glad she, she got a job, right, but right. I don't know. I hate, there's part of it that I hate that is like, it's like, okay, now we're segregating our, our politics into our art, you know? Yeah. So now we have, all right, now we're going to have c- companies that make conservative stuff with conservatives and conservative actors. And, conser- and now we have to have this other company that's Democrats with them. I mean, I mean, that's not how I want our, my art to be. That's not how I want my, you know, my entertainment to be. Um, but you know, the whole thing really, like I'm not, what upset me wasn't my outrage over her being fired or because I'm a big fan of the Mandalorian, which I am. Um, in fact, of that show, her character probably did the least for me of any other character. So it really has nothing to do with her being fired, or of course it has nothing to do with Disney's right to fire her. Of course, Disney is a quote unquote private company. Blah blah blah. Same old garbage. Who cares? Not not the point. What really bothered me was well, I'll tell it through a tale. I'll tell it through a story of how I actually first heard about this because I didn't first hear about it on uh, you know my normal like Liberty newsfeed stuff. I didn't hear hear it on Twitter. I heard about it on a podcast on a non-political podcast that I've listened to for years that I've supported financially for years that I will not name because they're not a political podcast and I'm not going to bring them into this. But uh, I heard them reporting on it and they were reporting on it because they're they're in the combat sports uh, space, I guess you could say. So it's uh, she was a former MMA fighter. So that's why it was it made their sort of news segment. Uh, but the way they reported on it really, really struck me because they reported on it by not actually reading the, the comments. They reported on it as something very obvious, something that everybody should know that, uh, you know, that 
that obviously these comments were disgusting, even though we never heard, heard what they are. And we hear the same kind of phrases that you see everywhere else. You hear the phrase disgusting. Um, you hear the phrase uh, like abhorrent. You hear the same terminology being used to these comments without them actually saying what the comments are and then um, kind of just implying that everybody knows you shouldn't compare anything to the Holocaust. That, right. that's, that, that's a place you should never go. And it's, it, the, it was what really struck me is that to them, they were not doing political reporting. They were actually not even delivering an opinion piece. They were actually just reporting the fact, the truth, that Gina Carano made abhorrent comments denigrating another race and religion, and they never mentioned what the comments were. They never read them on the air. They just reported that as a fact. And I don't think that they were doing this in any way to be in intentionally insidious. That's kind of the point. What they're doing is really just represent a re representative of uh, what many call the cathedral. The fact that there are narratives that are pushed out through our society, uh, through every single channel possible, through corporate media, uh, through social media, through big tech, uh, and these narratives are broadly accepted by people who don't even realize that they're they're, 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 what they think is the truth, they don't realize that it's a propaganda or that it's an opinion. And it's really representative of where a large portion of our culture and country have have, have come. Uh, it's, it's something that's always been there in a sense, but I think it's something people are becoming a lot more aware of now. So now there is a bigger divide. There's a divide of what you might call like the red pill, the aware, the people that see that there are narratives, see that they are being consistently pushed by the same places and the same people, and those that repeat those narratives and those that use the same terms. And you can see this everywhere once you know how to spot it because right. you'll see a story come out and then you'll see the same literal exact phrases repeated everywhere you go, including by your friends and your, your people that watch CNN. And it's just so obvious. So it just really struck me the power of this narrative, uh, the, pervasive, the pervasiveness of this narrative, uh, that it's it's something so, so, so kind of deep and insidious in a way, but – it's it's kind of beyond insidious. Like the narrative is is almost its own creature, its own its own being. It's not a, a guy in the back of a smoky you know a smoky room uh, ordering this to be put out there. It's more like it's more like massive um, massive groupthink. I, I yeah. guess you could say it's just it's a narrative that develops, and then once it starts to develop, uh, it it takes on sort of a life of its own. And the pe and the the organizations and structures that are part of delivering that narrative do their job and. And they deliver the narrative. Um, but I think that a lot of people often it's a hard line to 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 straddle here to talk about this because it is kind of complicated and it's not straightforward. But at the end of the day, I think it's it is less much less of a uh, an evil Illuminati cabal plot than it is in some ways more of like a, a mass delusion that that takes. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's an a good way of thinking about it, because what I've realized is. It's not so much. I, I think the Matrix analogies are actually really good. They're used a lot, but I think for good reason. And it's not so much that people, all these people, are insidious the way they they talk about this stuff, the way they they can just yeah brush aside what Gina Carano said as oh she said this offensive thing and and that's why it, I don't name them because I don't think they're intending to be no, insidious. No, no, right. It's 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 just the fact. I think most people. I mean, it's they're an MMA podcast. They're they're bogged down in the MMA world. So all they can do is kind of read the headlines, read what other people are saying about Gina Carano and kind of work that into what they're saying. And I think that's what everyone does on a day-to-day -day basis. Like I don't, most people don't have the time to try to dissect the narrative and to, to see this cathedral that's at work. They turn on CNN because they, they, they think they're doing a good thing by being informed and CNN is what they've kind of were raised to believe is the news. And so I'm being good by turning on CNN, paying attention mm -hmm. and and that's true. Somehow that, that is part of the narrative, too, Yeah, which is part of what has created this narrative even more so, because even when I was growing up, I remember everyone knows, like, oh, yeah, Fox is uh, conservative, like MSNBC is, is kind of uh, progressive, but CNN, right. that's just the news. They right. just tell you what's going on. And I've talked to people, friends of mine out here in Los Angeles in 2020 who still seriously believe that, which is why they all bought everything they heard for the last four yeah. years and why people that formerly might have been sort of, you know, middle road, not really very political, started sounding like extreme progressive nutsos yeah. because they were just repeating the truth that they heard on the on the one station that at the least is just reporting the news. Right. Right. And I have friends in New York and it's, they're the same way with the New York Times. The New York Times is just the news. I mean, that's that's what it is. There's <laughs> there's no thought that it's this completely biased organization. I mean, I, I sent one of them Barry Weiss's resignation letter, which I, we actually just talked about on a recent podcast, but to, to just to show them that, hey, 
there are these problems that are going on in the New York Times, which you think is completely objective, but their reporters are saying from the inside that you cannot have a dissenting opinion in this organization. And are are you are you are you hopeful? Like, do you think that more and more people are seeing that narrative, or do you think that the cathedral's just getting more and more control? Well, the fact that we're having this conversation does show that more and more people are becoming aware of it because it is, you know, it. It has a name now that right. we often use to refer to it as. Uh, we have terms, so it's a conversation. I, and I think even 20 years ago, I don't even know, if, know if anybody was even talking about this stuff. I mean, and if they were, it wasn't spreading rapidly because we didn't have the technology to spread it rapidly. Right. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things where uh, the the weapons of war can can arm both sides. So we're able to to arm each other with knowledge more rapidly and, and maybe wake people more up, to, uh, toss more red pe- pills in people's right. mouths. At the same time, uh, the narrative can uh, become pervasive so much faster, where Whereas within a half a day, Gina Carano can become a, a, someone who hates Jews and is anti-Semitic right. and be shunned from society. And this just happened in, in you know, the, the span of eight hours. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm what I'm calling myself gray-pilled lately. Uh, yeah. That I am I'm not optimistic that I can that. Yes, I think the narratives are, is, are too pervasive. I'm not I'm not confident I can change the overall tide of the way things are going. But I think there are opportunities at the same time that are better than we've ever seen in, in history to find people, find our communities, build our communities and shelter ourselves from what the rest of the society is doing in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think you're right. I think gray pills the, the right way to put it, because, yeah, I, I feel I feel um optimistic when I see so many people talking about this and, and it does seem like there's more people that are seeing the narrative, but then I get pessimistic when I see things like, you know, parlor being shut down. And I, I think it's so easy to just flip the switch when they feel like there's some form of alternative media or alternative news source that's getting too powerful. They can just shut it down. I mean, I felt the same way with, with the GameStop, the whole GameStop and Robin Hood situation that I w- it was great that all these people were trying to stick it to the man and stick it to Wall Street and, and people were really organized and everyone, it was something that kind of united people across the political spectrum and it felt great. And then in a day, Robinhood can just say, oh, we're going to stop tr- trading on GameStop. We're just going to crush this entire thing. And that's where my gray pill comes in is it, I, I go up and down. I, I'm, I, right. I f- it feels great that people are actually doing something. And then you can kind of see the power that the powers that be still have. It's a kind of a cycle, too, because when the, the stuff happens with Robin Hood, at the same time, it, it, it discourages you because you say, oh, my God, they, they, there's so much control over the system right. that we can't even fight back. I mean, I've seen I don't know who it was, so I'm not going to pretend I did. There, I saw some supposed financial expert guy saying that if it wasn't for them stopping all the, the, the buying, disallowing all the buying, that that stock would have gone to th- into the thousands. Right. Um, and man, what, what <laughs> that would have been it, so funny. It was chaotic just from where it did go. I mean, if it yeah. went to the thousands, right. I mean, first of all, you'd have a bunch of more rich losers out there yeah. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe not because they would just keep holding. Right. Um, so, I mean, but stuff like that is, uh, yeah, it's a good example of a, of a gray pill situation where right. both sides seem to have more, the people seem to have more power to do some crazy shit. And the, the other side seems to have the power to quickly shut it down, but that shutting down also opens more eyes to the situation as well. It makes people that might've just been toying around with GameStop go pause for a second, go, wow, holy shit. They're really, <laughs> This is that corrupt. Oh my god, I was just having fun with a stock. But right. no, this is that corrupt. They're actually going to stop me from buying a regular person from buying a stock so that the hedge funds hedge funds don't get screwed even more. Yeah. Well, that if that doesn't pill you out, I don't know what's going to. <laughs> I'm glad we actually disagree a little bit on the Gina Carano situation, or at least the, the, the outcome of it, because I, I want to have this debate if you're open to it. Sure. I, um, the other day I had on the podcast Will Willis, who is a he's a former Army Ranger, Air Force pararescue man, who then became a TV show host. And we kind of we had this a similar discussion and he took the side that you did where he was like, I don't want to have to divide art into into these two separate worlds. I don't want us all to have to live in two separate cultures. I I want one culture where everything's accepted. And I, I mean, I agree that ideally I would love that. I mean, I you know, I grew up in a small town and the Internet was really the only portal I had to the rest of the world. I always loved the fact that the Internet is where everyone gathered and you could talk to people from all different walks of life and that was always fun for me but if we're living in a world where it seems like a significant percentage of the population is not interested in interacting with people who disagree then to me the only possible solution is well then we have to separate these worlds uh, unless uh, the only the only alternative is some is a is a civil war. If you're going to force everyone into this one culture, and a big part of the population doesn't want to be in this culture or doesn't want to act, doesn't want to be a part of the same culture as this other population, 
what what is there other than other than war? Uh, not not even physical war, but just this yeah. this war that we're seeing going on right now. I don't know. I mean. I, I, you can look at it either way, and I can't say I have a super strong opinion about it, but I mean, just my initial gut reaction is just that I I think that that just furthers furthers the divide and and leads to more potential quote unquote war. I think the war I, I picture and that we're kind of already in is more of a, a ideological war. Right. It's more of a it's it's even what it's even less ideological in some ways. It's it's like meta ideological it's it's like above ideology it's it, there's something underneath here that that's bubbling and brewing uh where people and maybe it's just really disconnected to what we were talking about before with the, the narratives people cling to the narratives and the narrative clingers are on one side and the narrative uh rejectors are on the other side now a lot of those narrative rejectors are associated with being anti-mask maybe or anti-vax or republican or donald trump or whatever and lumped or right now racist we're gonna they're trying to lump all of that into the same category um, and some of those people, some of those overlaps might be true, uh, but you know, for the most part, the there is uh, the, that's the major divide I'm seeing because I know a lot of people that have opinions about politics, but the people that are, you know, not going crazy over COVID and and are are not necessarily I can't necessarily peg them on their politics actually at least out right. here it actually is a different sort of divide that I see. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm glad she has a job and is going to make some movies. It's good for her. I just don't. I don't like that that trend. That okay, Disney and the mega and the big tech corporations are where we're going to get basically progressive propaganda through all the IP that they own that we all love. So we have to either not watch it or watch it and know there's going to be some garbage there that we can't stand. Right. And, or then we have to go watch like everybody else on, on the daily wires production company. I, I don't know that that's not really the world I want to live in, but I can, I can see arguments both ways. Cause the, the other option is just Disney controls everything and that's right. all we get. So, right. Well that, right. And that's, I mean, that's my next question is okay. Then, then if, if we want, to still keep watching Disney products, how are you? Are you okay just watching a Disney product, knowing that they're going to kick out Gina Carano and kick out whoever else doesn't doesn't fit that narrative? I guess I guess the market speaks because I guess yeah. I am okay with it because I'm still watching. If I yeah. felt that strongly about it, I would I would disconnect. And there might be a time when I feel so strongly about something like that that I do. Um, but to me, there there's bigger things here than just this one person's firing. This is going to happen in in every every little walk of life, every little aspect of life. So. Um, I don't know. Maybe some company will cross. I mean, <laughs> what Disney did in China and with the shooting Mulan right. is is worse than anything about firing Gina Carano. So right. if I didn't draw a line there, I mean, who am I to draw the line? <laughs> right, right. I want to enjoy what I want to enjoy. Um, I don't know if Disney actually goes out and starts their own concentration camp. Maybe then I will actually say, okay, <laughs> all right, I should probably just cut the cord here. But um, that's yeah, probably the now, right place for to draw politics. The line. I'm not gonna ba- I'm not gonna punish myself from entertainment that I enjoy because of politics. It, it, it doesn't. You know, when you listen to that MMA podcast, it doesn't affect you at all that they're they're talking like this. Like for me, I'm it like, did. It, it's hard. It's hard. Thing. That's why yeah. I had to say something finally because it finally did. Because actually, for like the past year, the only time I would be bothered by them is when they would do the same kind of thing, but reporting on coronavirus. And their reporting would just again to them, they're just saying the news, but it's obviously the bias, the most biased slant, supporting every uh, every restriction, supporting everything. Right. Dana White is a villain, obviously, right. and is an idiot. Uh, you know, it's, it's but they think they're reporting the news when they say that stuff, and that so that has bothered me. I lot um to the point that i i thought to myself like should i even support but i i but i actually like the guys i've I've actually have met them in person and know them and think that they're good people and it's just this aspect it's when they let the news seep in when that 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 i you know when they're actually talking about the topics i I love it but then they report they have this these kind of news segments where they talk about the the latest trending news in the area and this kind of stuff gets reported as news but it's just more an example of this narrative seeping into everything where what, what many people are seeing as the truth is not a truth per se. It's it's a narrative. And it, and the fact training people to recognize a narrative, even if you agree with the narrative, there's narratives I hear that I agree with it, but I can at least recognize it's a narrative. I don't I can, right. I can recognize it's not the quote unquote truth. It's not a, it's not reporting. It's not the news. So right. we have to help people at least see that there is a narrative um so i guess the best we can do is just point it out as much as we can as much as we can see it is there something unique about mma that there, there's so many out i feel like mma is the one place where you're starting to hear people kind of in in some sort of mainstream organization you know the ufc people pushing back against some of this narrative you have dana white who was really the first one to open back up after COVID, I mean, he he did it in the face of everyone telling him he shouldn't do it. And you have Gina Carano, you have other outspoken, uh, you know, Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal. Uh, 
you have these UFC fighters who speak out in a way that even other athletes don't really do. Is there something unique about UFC that that lends itself to these personalities? That, that's why I, I love watching it, because I love those personalities. I don't know if there's something unique about UFC per se, but there might be something unique about that sort of athlete or that sort of entertainer. Um, Cause I, I kind of heard a similar thing when I've interviewed Glenn Jacobs in the past, yeah. uh, asking him about professional wrestlers. And I think, you know, someone in that kind of, I mean, okay, wrestling is not the same as pro wrestling is not the same right. as combat, but um, you know, you are creating a character for yourself in, in one way or the other. You are sort of an individual thing. You are sort of a free agent, even when you have contracts at various times. Um, there's a lot of similar, there's a lot of in individual streak there. Um, and so I think that maybe you're more likely to have some people in a realm like that, that, might be the type of person to mo be more independent thinking or oppose a narrative. Someone that didn't take the straightforward path. I mean, no matter what, uh, you know, MMA, maybe now it's, it's more so of a straightforward path because it's more popular, but you know, people that have gone into MMA in the last 10, 15 years, you know, that's not necessarily the path that you're taught. You know, that, that's not the normal path. Same thing with pro wrestlers. So maybe there's just something to people going into a certain area that is, you know, and combat is, is, you got to be a certain kind of person to get punched in the face for yeah. like you know, like I don't I don't like being punched in the face at all. I can't comprehend the idea for any amount of money wanting to get punched in the face for a living. It's just not appealing to me at all. So you got to be a certain kind of person to to uh, want to do that and want to make that your career. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there's just more likely to have a more independent minded person in that in that type of career. Yeah, I, I think that's really what it comes down to. Is it, it's it's a solo act that you have to do, and you have to. You kind of have to have that internal fortitude to be able to do what you do. And I think that lends itself to independent thought in other other areas. You said you're trying to move away from the word libertarian or libertarianism. Why is that? It's, it's really just it's labels. Labels seem to really hurt us in every way. Like I can't think of one time that saying oh, I'm libertarian or I, liberty has – benefited a conversation from someone that didn't already like the term or wasn't already searching for the term or, yeah. you know, didn't already have a warm, fuzzy feeling about it. Most of the time it's, uh, yeah, some, you might use the term liberty or libertarian and it might, you might, someone might hear it that actually knows what it is and actually like, you know, thinks positive things about it. More likely all the term is going to do is take some, basically take this little box that someone already has it somewhere in their mind about what libertarian is or about what liberty means. And now for many people, liberty, Republican, conservative, Donald Trump, MAGA, racist, white supremacist. That, this is all the same thing now. This is all the same thing. Yeah. So for many, it's sad, sad but true. And this is the, you know, the problem with language and many of the problems with language. It is all open to interpretation. There is no, I'm not saying there should be, there is no uh, government demanding that you agree this word means this thing, uh, nor should there be. But uh, you know, the fact is people are going to take different words different ways. And when we focus on a word or a label, we're just, we're starting a conversation handicapped. And I, I've, I've, I've noticed that on my own so much over the years. If I get into a conversation, Conversation, but it never came up that I was a libertarian. It's a different conversation than if it starts that way, because then I have to talk myself down. I have to talk myself out of the stereotypes. Like, no, but that's not. No, it's not. I have to dis I have to dispel ten myths. Whereas <laughs> if I'm just having a conversation and it wasn't based around the fact that I'm a libertarian, yeah. Well, I don't have to do that. I can just have a regular conversation, find the points of agreement that I have with someone, and then bring up some points of disagreement, and they can kind of, you know. And now we're just having a regular conversation. We're not having a, a conversation where they're seeing me as this, you know you know, um, monocle monopoly man type, right. you know, super villain, uh, because they think I'm a libertarian capitalist who right. wants to, you know, own, own all the oil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, I said that all the time, like I've never converted anyone by like knocking on a door campaigning. It's you do it in a dorm room when you're drinking, like you said, and you, yeah. you're just sitting around talking shit. And, and that's kind of what we wanted to translate into the Lions of Liberty podcast, like translate yeah. those more regular conversations into, into audio format of sorts. Besides you guys, who do you think is also doing a good job of, of spreading the message that way? Who's uh, the next Ron like, Paul, I guess? Do you mean in like podcast format specifically or? Uh, anything. Overall? Um, Give me overall, yeah. Man, who even spreads the message besides podcasters? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I was trying to think like, is I, there anyone they, they might just be podcasters uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the work Pete Quinones has been doing. Yeah. Uh, he just kicks ass. Uh, as someone who barely squeaks out an interview a week, I'm just continually amazed <laughs> by his output. Obviously, Tom Woods is a, a hero and a, a god of liberty. Uh, you know, he he started the Tom Woods show just a month after Lions of Liberty when I thought I was going to take over the libertarian world and be the only libertarian podcast. And then this guy comes out with five episodes a week. So he stole a little bit of my thunder. But I, I, I 
managed to stick around uh, nonetheless. But, you know, Tom, Tom's a beast. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the, and, and Dave Smith, I think. I mean, Dave has done done wonders by appearing on my show a number of times and by uh, basically helping Lions of Liberty become the the trusted forum for settling all debates in the Liberty <laughs> movement. Uh, so I, I, I love what Dave is doing. I love his messaging. And I, and I overall think that messaging should be radical. I think there's hardly any point in messaging if it's not radical messaging. Um, there are ways to message radically without sounding like a stereotype, without sounding, you know, without turning people off, without pounding away on labels. But I think messaging should always be radical because otherwise, why bother? I mean, why bother being involved in politics if you're not going to be radical? Why bother even doing this if you're not actually trying to change people's views? And if you're trying to change people people's views, um, I don't know. Incrementalism. Maybe it's just my personality. That's boring. That's so boring to me. I don't need to convince someone that our taxes should be two percent less, and, and and you know show them forty charts and graphs of why maybe the GDP goes up. If we no, that's not interesting to me at all. Right. And it's really not effective because all you're going to do, someone else will come up with their chart that says actually it should be a little bit more, and then it's actually a little bit better. That no, that's not that's not convincing. That's not uh, people. There's no passion around that kind of argument. So I like people that are passionate. I like people that are radical. Um, that's who I'm a fan of. Let's just yeah. So there, there's a big debate right now in in I know you we're trying to not use the libertarian word, but in in the no, liberty okay. circle. We're allowed to say it. It's <laughs> okay, not a, it's not a naughty word or anything. <laughs> but that that's the I and I think that's probably always been the big debate, and it's always kind of made me laugh that there's so much internal debate in libertarianism. A, a group that gets one percent of the vote seems to fight among itself more than it fights with the other ninety nine percent. But the debate is always between the more radical side and the more pragmatic side i guess is, is the word that they'd like to use Wh what do you say to their argument that the radical argument turns off a lot of people who might be interested in these ideas but aren't are a little put off by by going too far i, I say um oh well <laughs> you got to break some eggs man and and the 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 idea that speaking truthfully or you know saying things saying what you actually believe is going to turn people off well guess what if you're if those people are going to be turned off like they're not necessarily your target audience because the idea is not that you have to convince 100 percent of the people of your message at all um revolutions don't happen with 100 percent of the people changing they don't even happen with 80 or 90 or 70 or 60 or 40 or 20 percent it's more like 10 15 so you need to find the people that are able to be radicalized. The best way to do that is to spook them out and, and put out the radical message. And for every 10 people you turn away, uh, maybe 10 was a bad number to use because that's going to make the math complicated. For every three people you turn away, uh, you might radicalize one, and that person is going to get enthusiastic, and that person is going to become part of your revolution. So fine. So scare people away. I mean, yeah. you're not going to convince everybody, and it would be silly to try to convince everybody. And that's the problem with the sort of pragmatic to me incrementalist message. You're trying to win everybody over by meeting them where they are. And trust me, I used to think this way. I mean, this is why I think we're always evolving, always changing, because the things I would have said three or four years ago are not the same things I believe now because life occurs, and I, I learn new things and see things in a different way. And maybe three years from now, I'll be speaking in a totally different way about the things I'm saying now. But right now, my current position is, yeah, that 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 meeting people where they are stuff it's good for you know you know it's good for having coffee or something or you know if you're on a tinder date for the first time maybe you meet her where where she is and but if you're actually involved in the political activism side of things and you're actually doing political messaging yeah no sorry you better be radical if you want to be effective at least if you're trying to actually cause a seismic shift in the system if you're really just trying to you know garner power and you know win a little you know election for commissioner of something okay well that's a different thing but that's not what i'm talking about and that's that's not the kind of politics I have any interest in, in doing. So it's not the kind of politics I'm going to, you know, going to be enthusiastic about or support. Right, right. I, I want to go back to Gina Carano for a second because I was just thinking of something. Dave Smith said recently, this made me laugh because because I, I feel the same way. Dave Smith said on his podcast, he said, you know, I I miss the days when I was the only one who cared about politics. When he goes, I, I want no one else to care about politics except for me and the people I agree with. But but, he, much. but, the, 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 but the big point was he's he's like. I liked it when we could take politics out of the non-political realm and we could just listen to an MMA podcast and talk about MMA right. and not have politics worked into it. I guess playing a little bit of the prediction game, I like to play the prediction game on here and, and some people don't like to play with me, but do you see going forward, does that get any better? Is is politics... Are, because this is something I talk to people who of all beliefs, of all across the spectrum, who are like, yeah, I'm just sick of politics being everywhere. But there's also a particular population, I think, that feels like politics needs to be everywhere. And so they're the ones who are kind of injecting it everywhere. 
where do you see that shaking out going forward? Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want it everywhere. I would definitely agree with Dave Smith, but uh, again, I don't, I don't know how much I can control that. So it seems yeah. to have gone where it's gone at this point. And again, it, it's kind of goes back to, you know, you say there's people that want to have politics everywhere. I, I, I mean, I think there are, there are plenty of people that want to have politics everywhere, but I think more so than that is still, it's more like the kind of people we're talking about that, like that, that they think they're not putting politics everywhere, but they are that, but they right. think that they're just doing like, like politics for many people, it's becoming not politics. It's becoming what they think is just truth and normal and news. So of course it should be everywhere because the truth should be everywhere. Of course we should all be against white supremacists and uh, which we should be. I mean, but, but of course that's you know what people are calling white supremacists is not really what they are. Um, of course we should be against you know X, Y, and Z. So of course this should be talked about. Of course we should all be wearing masks. Uh, of course we should uh, be, you know, following every restriction. And of course we should be taking vaccines and supporting vaccines. Of course we should, of course we should, of course we should. So people are seeing everything as truth and they're not seeing it as politics. And so they might say those same people that are putting their politics into things by saying, wear a mask, uh, take a vaccine. They'll tell you, get your conservative politics out of here. Cause this isn't about politics while they're telling, you know, telling you about their politics because right. truth isn't politics. It's just the truth to that side of things. But that's, again, this all just comes back to the, this pervasiveness of this narrative uh, of the narratives that, that in, sort of in, take on a life of their own. And, and there, there's certainly insidiousness behind the creation of the narratives, but I think the, the extent to which they take hold is perhaps much more a reflection of the, the, you know, the state of humans overall than anything else. Yeah. I have to ask you about California, what's going on there, because, uh, you know, what you hear in the news is, I mean, I hear what I hear from, you know, Joe Rogan and, and the podcast I listen to. All those guys are leaving L.A., now leaving California. Uh, it seems like people are starting to see, I think, that the, the negatives of some of these authoritarian policies that California's had for, for so long. What's it look like on the ground there? Are, does, it, does it seem like people are, are waking up? Are people voting with their feet? Is the state, are the state leaders going to change anything based on what's happening well the last one no of course yeah. not <laughs> and i say but, uh, i don't like to use the word leaders they're the, they're the politicians that's right, leaders right. is the wrong word um no i mean that like i've lived here for like 16 years now and i've always you know gotten the commie california remarks and all this right. stuff and yeah it's true there are you know taxes are higher here um yeah there's some worse gun laws slightly worse gun laws than a lot of other states that stuff is never was never so much that it bothered me because at the end of the day, I don't want to let politics control my happiness. Yeah. And I, this is a physical place that I enjoyed living. I loved, and I'm putting this somewhat in the past tense because this is a different place than it used to be. I loved the city of LA. I love the culture here. I love the, I love California because it's a place you can drive two hours, you know, within three hours drive, you can be in Mexico, you can be in wine country, you can be in Las Vegas, you can be in the mountains, you can be anywhere. It's just, uh, if you're a person of adventure, there's so much to do. So it's just an awesome, it's an awesome place to live, politics aside. Right. Uh, but of course there is the politics and a lot of it's just more annoying than anything else. Of course, when I do my taxes and 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 see my state income taxes, yeah, that 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 sure hurts every year. But that's that was never enough to make me say oh, I'm I'm out of here. Um, but the last year or so has definitely the the reaction to the lockdowns, the reaction to the coronavirus stuff. Uh, that stuff has disheartened me about this place way more than all the other stuff did over the years. Um, and it's more, it's much less about the laws and the actual lockdowns themselves than the attitude of the people in this area, at least my part of California, Southern California, where you're looked at like a crazy person. If you walk your dogs alone without a mask on, uh, where people will literally cross the street and run away from you. If they see you without a mask on, cause they're so freaking afraid of you. And these are, these are the people that like, it's not the state that I'm worried about. It's my neighbors wanting yeah. to call the state to tell them what I, they should do to me, <laughs> you know? So it's really a cultural thing. And I don't know. I, a lot of my of my friends, I'd say half I've lost their minds and the other half are fairly reasonable. So I don't know. I don't know what the divide is exactly there. Uh, but I think that's the divide everywhere across the country, though. You know, that's yeah, how I, I feel. So. And I live in the Midwest. So I, I think it's mm. that's kind of just how everyone's being divided. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. That's the same thing in, you know, in my family, too. Like some people have lost their minds and I can barely speak to them. Right. Other people are the same as me, pretty skeptical and just trying to be normal. So it really just, I guess, made the same thing everywhere. But I think there's a lot more of the losing their mind side in L.A. Yeah. Um, I think my friend group is a different kind of breed because I'm probably even my most progressive friends. I'm not friends with people I consider psychopaths. And, right. you know, even even the craziest of them just are, have 
regular left-leaning politics, but they're not the over, kind of over-the-top people that I'm seeing kind of around me otherwise. Right. I feel like you're making my argument for me. Like, how, so all, all of those crazy people, <laughs> right? All of those crazy people. How how are the are you and they supposed to live in the same? I don't society? know. If we can. I don't yeah. know. If we can. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah. I've been reconsidering thing, things quite a bit in the past. Yeah. Year. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think that's I think that's a separate conversation than the the cultural media argument. Uh, but in terms of where you're physically living and who you're physically living around, yeah, that's a that's a bigger consideration and a bigger impact on your life than who's in the movies and TV that you watch. So yeah, that's something I have been putting under uh, extreme consideration in the past uh, past to me I think it's the same argument just because I see a lot of overlap between the people who are going crazy in in both areas you know both on the the physical side on the walking your dog outside thing there's overlap I I guess the difference I mean is like you know who's in the Mandalorian or not is no physical threat to me right whereas my neighbors maybe right right that's true that's a good point what can we expect from Lions of Liberty for the next 500 episodes amazing things and those 500 episodes are just my episodes that i do every single monday on the flagship podcast where i you know host interviews uh, roundtable discussions debates uh but we have three shows a week and now my colleagues brian mcwilliams host of electric liberty land um really funny guy really funny host uh he's been doing his show he's in the 200s john odermatt i think he's just over 300 on his show which is called finding freedom used to be felony friday we did a little rebrand uh you're gonna see amazing things from lions liberty because this is the first year um i I guess just to get into the business side of things for seven and a half years we never we did make a lot of money we a pretty good amount of money we've had a patreon that's been well over two thousand dollars a month for you know several years now uh that's always been increasing uh we've been selling ads so we've always made money but we've never taken a dollar until this year until 2021 we finally have gotten to the point of comfort where we're making enough revenue that it fully funds for what we're doing fully pays for marketing fully pays for everything we have to do and we can actually give ourselves something back from the advertising money that we're selling so basically our our patreon funds the show and our advertising pays us now which is huge because now even though it's not our any of our full-time jobs at least it's a part-time job now now we can at least say we are getting paid something and that's a big step that's a that's a big difference and it enables us to have a little more freedom and flexibility in our lives because i can justify putting in more time when i'm actually getting some money now after seven years i think it's okay i don't need to feel guilty about taking money after that much time (laughs) putting in i don't think absolutely So yeah we're we're doubling down we're putting more than ever into things and that's and i think we're all really hitting our stride as hosts to be honest i mean i I think the past year of my shows have been the best work that uh, has ever been done in terms of the interviews i've been doing and that's uh you know both due to me and due to the guests that i've been bringing on and intentionally choosing Uh, and i think brian and odie have both been hitting their strides as as well uh so i think we're really gelling we're really hitting you know we're we're the best versions of ourselves so i think things are just going to get better and better and bigger and bigger and i think um you know our confidence as hosts as leaders uh, in the if you got to say liberty or libertarian <laughs> whatever you want to say movement you want to call this uh, i yeah. think we're we're at a point where we feel really like that we belong where we are and uh, yeah. so i think that confidence exudes and that's going to translate into what we're doing and and um, yeah so you're going to see bigger and better things that's awesome us. and if if you had to give one piece of advice to someone who maybe started a podcast a few months ago and wants to build it up more what kind of a, what would be that one piece of advice you could say to help them grow it hang it up quit now, now. <laughs> now you have I mean, no skill really in terms of growing a podcast in general the the best way to well there's two ways how much time you got uh no but i mean i think the biggest keys to me there there's the um the straightforward way of just literally growing your show if you're talking about like the best way to reach a new audience the best way to reach a new audience is is a get on as many podcasts as possible because people that are listening to podcasts they hear you and then they're those are the people that are most likely to be listening to a podcast be listening to a person with a podcast and then go oh i like this guy i'll go subscribe to his podcast so being on podcasts you know the free way hopefully is by just somehow getting on as a guest on a lot of shows uh and then of course there's also the paid advertising way and just you know we did that was a big key to a lot of our growth we uh we, after we started the patreon once we built up enough money in it and it took a little while because we weren't making a couple thousand bucks a month at first it was just a couple hundred bucks a month right. uh, eventually we built up a, a little, enough of a war chest to say all right we're gonna we're gonna do some advertising we ran ads on tom woods jason stapleton uh, Dave Smith and enough of their audience came over that it really we saw about a 30% surge in our growth that was like maybe three or four years ago um, and yeah that that really helped us to grow from there um, so 
being on podcasts in one way or another, whether through paid advertising or guest appearances, is, is just a huge way to grow your podcast. And getting guests on that have podcasts because they will share it. I'll share this show. Uh, their audiences will see it. Hopefully a percentage of them will check it out. And some of them will become subscribers to your show. So just being in that mix as much as possible. Uh, that, that was really the key to all of our growth. Uh, but then in terms of like growing within that, just really building a community. That's really the biggest key to our growth. And because and, you can find, you can get downloads easily. It's really easy to get downloads, actually. You can just you know, buy some ads and people will download the show one time. Right, right. <laughs> but you don't want to just have people to download your show one time. You want people that download it, listen to it, like it, and want to become a part of your community. You actually want to be part of, of not just not just a listener to your show. Uh, you want some, you want to build a community. Really, it's all about building communities. It's all and that's really what the whole thing is about. And the the more uh, you can give your audience, um, make them a part of your community. Um, that you want them to see you as not just Eric, a podcast host. You want them to see you as Eric, their friend, who invites them into the, their home every into your home every week because this is your home. This is your house. You're inviting them in, and you want them to feel welcome. And you can do that through a lot of different ways. Like you know, we have we have a Facebook group we've had for years. Now we have um, a lot of this stuff has taken on a life of its own too. Like we have a Discord group that I pop my head in once in a while i'm hardly ever in there it's like its own thing they have their own in jokes their own their own memes like they have stuff going on i don't even know about so like at some point these communities start to take on life's lives of their own and the best thing coming out of all that um is to see people that have been fans of your show that have become part of your own community start their own things and build their own communities and realize that you were a part of leading them into that like i we they have a ton of fans of our show uh over the years like i can think of like half a dozen off the top of my head who have started their own podcasts and um, built their own communities and I'll, and I'll take a lot of lines of P- Liberty fans th- that they've gathered along the way over there. And it's just an awesome thing to see. Cause that's why I wanted to do this. I wanted more people to get excited about these ideas. I wanted more people to hear about them. And when it, when I, when we can be even a small part in inspiring other people to start their own thing and go out and find their own communities. I mean, that's, that's exactly how we're going to grow this thing. So that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's the most rewarding part of it anyway. Yeah. Well, that's great. Hey, and Mark, I mean it when I say I'm honored to have you on the show. I, you have such a big platform. It, it means a lot for you to, to come on to this little platform and talk to me. Everyone, I'm just go- some guy, you know, <laughs> You're more of a guy than I am, though. Uh, everyone, go subscribe to Lines of Liberty. It really is it's a great podcast, and it really is a great community. Mark and the guys over there have really built something special, so I, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, Mark, where else can people find you online? All over the place. Well, there's uh, yeah, there's the usual suspects, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Lines of Liberty, everything there. And then um, my personal Twitter is at Mark D. Claire. That is M-A-R-C, not K. M-A-R-C, the letter D-C-L-A-I-R. And then uh, also, we didn't mention, I also have a comic book podcast and a totally different uh, totally different thread of things, but we're trying to invade the culture from all angles. So myself and uh, Ramzo Martinez host the Second Print Comics podcast. You can find that at secondprintcomics.com. That is the word second, not uh, the two and the N and the D. Secondprintcomics.com. You can also find us uh, you know, everywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, blah, blah, blah. Um, at, and on social media, we are always at Second print pod so that's after second print pod on twitter instagram anywhere else we might be that's what we are everywhere awesome well mark thanks again have a great weekend Uh, thank you everyone for listening have a good night thanks eric